Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracetoeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Yeah, so today we're going to be covering uh, or continuing on in the unshakable hunger. Um, This is week six. And the big idea for this week is that the the unshakable life is both satisfied by and hungry for God's word. Uh, In Matthew 4, 4, he says, but he answered them, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We're going through that today. My name is is Pete. Uh, This is my wife, Lindsay, up here. We've been a member, as Rod said, for quite some time. And uh, it really is an honor and a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Um, a little bit daunting, but uh, it's, it's just the weight of that responsibility. And so please know, I don't take it lightly, and, and I pray that the grace of God is on me today as we, as we learn together. So, so Lord, my prayer is that as we study today, uh, your spirit would both challenge us and comfort us through your word. As Proverbs says, says uh, the commandment is a lamp and, it, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Amen. So, and under, undertaking trying to communicate God's heart for this, uh, his children when it comes to his word has been, I mean, it really has been nothing short of daunting, guys. Um, I, I know, I now know what Chris and Casey go through every week, and uh, I want to take a moment and just recognize and honor them for what they do. It, it, it's amazing how unequipped you can feel, um, but how gracious God is to help when we ask. So, so where do we start? How do we start? Should my, should my aim be to convince you guys through fine rhetoric, uh, through a masterful display of words um, that are in, in this book? I'm going to grab it here because I, I just want it next to me. Um, <laughs> I need it. Um, or do I just state the thing plainly and, and let us all go on with our day? You know, it's kind of this... This balance. In our, in our prayers this morning, in preparation for service, we've, we've already asked, and we've likely already asked individually, that, that the Lord, Lord, we pray you, you be with us this morning. Lord, we ask that you give us words to speak to those who are coming through the doors. We, give us words for those in need and those who might be hurting. Be with us here today. Help us today. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in and through us today. We ask to see a mighty work of your Spirit. Lord, change us, mold us, make us more like you. These are good things, and we ought to pray for such things. But brethren, the Lord has already answered such prayers. And that answer is here with us now. It was with us when we woke up, when we drank our coffee, when we ate our breakfast. It was with us when we got our kids ready, dressed them, and fed them. It was with us while we hit snooze, or while we woke up slowly. It was with us in our late night or evening with friends and loved ones. It was with us, some of us, in our restlessness as we watched the hours and minutes pass by, fearing the commitments we had today, praying that we might fall asleep. The answer to these prayers is eternal, precious, alive, and active, and it's the very word of God. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us this morning. I'm hidden in the words of this book. Come and find me. Lord, we ask that you give us words to speak to those who are coming through these doors. My word is power of God unto salvation. My people have hidden my word in their hearts. 
My word does not return void, and it accomplishes the purpose for which I sent it. Lord, give us words for those in need, those who may be hurting. In this world, you will have trouble, but I give you my peace. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will wipe every tear from their eye. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would work in and through us today. Lord, we ask to see a mighty work of your Spirit. For these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For we know, who knows a person's thoughts except their own Spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities in Spirit-taught words. Some of the simplest truths within the life of the believer is, is this, and there's two statements here, and I'll start with the one that I won't be focusing on today, but it's really important for us to, to hear, I think, because um, it highlights the second. The Bible is the word of our God, and the one who neglects it does so at their own peril. Not because they are saved by the ink on its pages, but because they fail to see the value in continuously giving serious, sustained attention to the salvation accomplished by Christ, to see Christ within its truths. They will struggle to be transformed, remain spiritually immature, and they will be perpetually laying a foundation of repentance. They will continue through this life searching for God, unable to see Christ clearly, carelessly grieving the Spirit through ignorance, and will have very few promises upon which to rely in their times of need. The better version. The Bible is the word of God, and the believer who cherishes it will be blessed by God, not because they are saved by the ink on the pages, but because they will continuously give themselves to serious, sustained attention to the salvation accomplished by Christ. They will see the one they love in its pages. As they meditate on its truths, they will maintain Christ on the forefront of their minds. They will be transformed by the renewing of their minds as they gaze upon his beauty. They will continue through this life in the sweetest communion with God, for we speak to God in prayer, and he speaks to us through his word. They will be careful not to grieve the Spirit because they are not ignorant of his commands, and they will be well-trained in discerning good from evil. They will know very well the promises of God, and they will take them to him steadfastly in prayer when in need, fully convinced due to the faithfulness they have seen in his word time and time again. Brothers and sisters, I struggled this week with these statements. I tried to find a different way to communicate them, to make them seem less polarizing. But this is what Scripture communicates to us, so plainly in its pages. And it's one of the most valuable realities we can lay hold of on this pilgrimage, from the Old Testament through the New. So we'll move a bit quickly through these, so bear with me, but we're going to embark on a little bit of a study. And what I'd like to do is just focus on more encouraging of the two statements for our benefit. First one, the Bible is the word of our God. And we won't stay along here because I think most of us agree in this room. If you don't, there is room to grow, and I'm going to encourage you to stay and uh, become aware of this truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, and you can write these down. I'm going to move through them pretty quick. I've got a lot of scripture today. Um, so if one 
sticks to your mind, you can talk to me afterwards and I'll let you know what it was or jot them down as you go. Or you can follow along and meditate on them uh, as, you, as you linger and I move forward. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible is the word of our God. John 16, 12 through 15, the words of Jesus. I will have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and what he will make known to you. All Scripture is the work of God-fearing men and women, led forth by the Spirit of truth as he, the Spirit, has received from Christ. These are the words of the Spirit. These are the words of God. Make no mistake. It's not an empty book, and it's not in addition to Christ. It is his words. The believer who cherishes it will be blessed by God. Isaiah 66, 2, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is to the one to whom I will look. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Joshua 1, 8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1, and I love this psalm because it's the first psalm, and, and there's some, some crazy things in Psalm 1, but Psalm 119, we'll get there in a second, but it's full of, I love your word, I love your word, I love your word. It guides me, it leads me, I love it, I cherish it. Read Psalm 119. But Psalm 1 is... The first psalm, and Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, right? Psalm 1 is special. And this is, this is how the Lord opens with, in psalms. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the, in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but to the way, the way of the wicked will perish. It's so crazy that most of the psalm is full of we shoulds, thou shoulds, it goes well with you if. They're commandments. But Psalm 1 is an indicative it is a quality and characteristics. There are no commands in Psalm 1. He delights in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. This is indicative of a righteous person. And it's interesting how he contrasts it. He doesn't go into super detail. He just says, the wicked are not so. It's convicting. It's true. James 4.8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How better to draw near? <laughs> Sit at his feet and hear his voice in these pages. 
They will see the one that they love in its pages. The entire book of the Song of Solomon, representation of Christ and his church, it's the same for us in Christ. The man, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Response, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Guys, when we go to God's word, we experience this on a way that it's not weird, right? It's, as a guy, it's going to be weird to think of the word like this, but it is deep and intimate, and we find the one that we love. We search for him endlessly in these pages. Again, in the Song of Solomon, on my bed by night, I sought him with whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I didn't find him. This is yearning, searching, reaching out for the one that they love. I'll rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. And then again in Song of Solomon 5, verse 2 through 6, I slept but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is what would do my locks with the drops of the night. This is the internal dialogue of the woman, or us as the believer. I had put off my garment. How could I put it back on? I had already washed my feet. How could I soil them again? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open. She finally gets up and opens the door after she has already thought through the reasons why she can't. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh. On the handles of the bolt, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul fainted, or corrected, my soul failed me while he spoke. I sought him. But I found him not. I called and he gave no answer. What a picture this is and how it matches our realities. She delays when she hears him call out, come to me, my love. She's already put off her garment for the evening. She's already washed her feet. She's already in bed. And then when she tries, when she finally stirs into action to go and meet him, he's gone. He had turned and left. When the believer is called to meet with God, they have learned that to delay is to miss him. They cherish their time with the one they love, and they put aside excuses quickly. They run to meet him. As they meditate on his truths, they will maintain Christ on the forefront of their minds, and they will be transformed by the renewing of their minds as they gaze upon him. Psalm 4.4, tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Psalm 63.6, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Psalm 119, 15, 148, and 105. Pretty much the entirety of Psalm 119. I meditate you on, on your precepts and consider your waves, ways. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Romans 12.12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be tested 
that, or that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're transformed in this. Better able to discern what's good from evil. John 3, 10 through 15, Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we already know and testify about what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you people about earthly things you, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, there's, there's a bit in this, but it, it goes with meditating on his truths. Um, Christ at the forefront of their minds being transformed. Nicodemus was a teacher. He was a Pharisee. He had read the scriptures his whole life, but failed to see Christ in them. We too can read day in and day out, but if we fail to see Christ, we fail. Jesus quotes from Numbers here, ironic, that he uses a scripture in Numbers where, um, it's not ironic, it's God's intention here. Um, He uses a scripture from Numbers where a plague had come upon the people of Egypt and they had been stricken by serpents because they had fallen away. And Moses was commanded by God to put a serpent on a staff and raise it so the people could be healed. And as they looked upon the serpent in faith on the, on the cross, they were, they were healed. He's telling Nicodemus here, first and foremost, that what's happening and what will happen is an act of faith and faith only. And he's also showing him himself in the story of Numbers that Nicodemus failed to see. Even as you read through the Old Testament, you will see Christ. And as you spend more and more time in his word, you will see him more and more in the pages of the, the poetry in the history. Our goal, should, our goal should always be to see Christ in scripture. He is our true bread and living water. They will be careful not to grieve the spirit because they are not ignorant of his commands and they will be well trained in discerning good from evil. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart not in my... I might not sin against you. And it's interesting. One of the things in my study this week as I was going through, one of the things I've, I found was the Hebrew word for, for Scripture is represented by a staff and a tent. And it's indicative of uh, the staff of the shepherd, uh, symbol of authority and leadership. And the second one, a tent, is the innermost part of a man. It's also the same one for tabernacle. But our heart is in us. It's, it's the source of authority of our innermost being. If we keep our words there, our allegiances, or his words there, our allegiances will stay steadfast. Romans 12, 12, do not be conformed to the images of this world again, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As you spend time in his word, you learn to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 24, those who have clean hands and a pure heart, they will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation, such as the generation of those who seek him. Colossians 1, 9 through 10, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy 
of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. There is such a link in Scripture of knowing God's word and being able to discern between good and evil by spending time in God's word and keeping your feet from evil, by spending time in God's word and living a life worthy of what we have received. They're so intrinsically linked everywhere in Scripture. The one who doesn't read the word is ignorant. They don't recall God's commands easily, and they're not hidden in their heart, the place of authority. They will stumble. Write it down. It's everywhere in Scripture. Psalm 119, 104, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Hebrews 2, 1 and 3, Therefore we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Pay close attention to what you've heard. What's in this book is what we have heard. It's what we're being told. It's shouting to us even if we aren't reading it. We have no excuse there, especially in this day and age. Much pay, pay much closer attention to it, lest we drift from it. They're linked, guys. They are so linked in Scripture and how we know it. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13, Let us therefore strive to enter the rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word helps us with unbelief and disobedience. It's alive and active. It's able to search us and expose us. It is a two-edged sword. When we're exposed to it, we're exposed. It convicts, and it leads us to repentance in its pages when we see Christ. 2 Timothy 3.14, but as for you, continue in, what I've learned, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for, all, for, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So linked. It's everywhere, guys. In Deuteronomy 8, be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land from the Lord, or the, Lord, the land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. <laughs> this is a lot of scripture, but it, it's so apparent, guys. And I just wanted scripture to speak for itself in all these cases. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, to equip us for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children, 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every word of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. He's given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers in this book to equip us for the work of ministry and so that we will no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. It's a shield, guys. It's a shield. First Peter 2 like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this is interesting. Because this is the train of thought through Peter and Corinthians here. that it, it blew my mind when I first read it, so let's pay attention. Brothers, this is in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for solid food. Didn't Peter just tell us to long for the pure spiritual milk? And then we have Paul in Corinthians telling us that he gave us milk, not solid food, because we were like infants? And we weren't ready for it? In fact, you're still not ready, for you are still worldly. Continues this train of thought in Hebrews 5. In this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So, pure spiritual milk, we're encouraged to drink it, that we grow up into salvation. We're infants in Christ. He gives us milk, that's good, but we should crave solid food. In Hebrews, Paul chastises the Christians for staying on the pure spiritual milk of the word, the basic oracles of God and of Christ. That blew my mind. These things are important for the new believer. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. But Paul tells us here that that's spiritual milk. These are the basic oracles of God. We need solid food, but we need to be ready for it. And to be ready, we need to have our powers of discernment trained by constant practice in distinguishing good from evil. You need to spend time in this word to get there. <clears throat> Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, and this is where Paul continues the thought from Hebrews 5. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This blows my mind, guys. Paul is calling out the pure spiritual milk of the word. The elementary doctrines of Christ is something that we ought to move away from. Not because we ought to forget them. Not because they aren't valuable or foundational. But it's because they are exactly that. They are foundational. We are called to move above and beyond the elementary doctrine of Christ and Christ crucified. 
Should we remind ourselves of it often? Absolutely. Do we yearn to see it in these pages? Absolutely. It's precious to us. But it is the foundation. The rest of the word is profitable for teaching and correcting. It's profitable for teaching us to distinguish good from evil, that we won't stumble, that we won't grieve the spirit. Six, they, they will know very well the promises of God and take them to him steadfastly in prayer when in need, fully convinced due to the faithfulness they have seen in his word time and time again. This one's my favorite. We all know the example of Moses in the Old Testament. And the way Moses prayed was amazing. Every time he went to God to try and save Israel from utter destruction, he pleaded with God based on his promises and on his understanding of God's nature. See, Moses spent a lot of time in the presence of God, and his face glowed because of it. The man knew how to talk with God. He knew how to convince God that he ought to do something. He knew how to move God's hand, stir his purpose and his emotion. There's another example of King Hezekiah, and you may not be familiar with this one, but hopefully you are. 2 Kings 19, 14 through 19, and this is um, Hezekiah quotes from Isaiah here. There's a fundamental knowledge of the Old Testament. Hezekiah received the letter from, and this is, so a little bit of history here. Sennacherib is attacking Israel. He's about to conquer them. This guy has marched through the entire known world and just laid utter destruction. He's a huge army. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messenger from their enemy and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, he quotes Isaiah here, he knows his scripture when he needs God. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, and you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their, and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but they were the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God and God alone. He goes to Scripture in desperate need. He calls upon his understanding of the nature of God, and he does it with confidence. The Lord delivered them. George Mueller, another example. And this is something that he was an expert at. George Mueller, I would encourage you to read about him if you haven't. He's one of the most steadfast men of prayer that I've ever heard of. And I marvel at him every time I read about him. He, he was a missionary and minister in England. And he was in charge of an orphanage. That was his principal ministry. And there's time after time where... Um, George Mueller said it in his heart not to ask anybody for any money to support the orphanage, but he relied wholly on God to support through God's means. He never asked anybody for anything, raised millions of dollars, never didn't, or he never lacked what he needed for these kids. A miraculous stuff. Read about him sometime. The difference then, this is, this is a quote from him, the difference then between my former practice and my present one is this, and excuse the old English here, but he's old English. 
Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spent all my time till breakfast in prayer, or almost all the time. At all events, I almost invariably began with prayer. But what was the result? I often spent a quarter of an hour, a half an hour, or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling to the soul, etc. And often after having suffered much from the wandering of my mind for the first ten minutes or quarter of an hour or even half an hour, only then I began to pray. That sounds familiar, right? I scarcely even suffer now in this way. For my heart, being nourished by the truth, being brought into experiential fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend, vile as I am and unworthy of it, about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. It often now astonishes me that I did not sooner see this point. He learned to pray with Scripture alone. This is how we communicate with God. We go to him in prayer with his promises in front of us and our fingers upon them, and he speaks to us in the same word. Spurgeon. He can reverse his nature, but he cannot reverse his own nature, and he must do this before before he forbear to hear and answer prayer. The best praying man is the man who, most believingly, who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. We must know the promises of God. And you're going to only find them in this book. It is the only place you're going to find them. It's the only place you're going to be familiar with them time and time again. You have to devote your time and attention to them or they'll fail you because you will not know them. I think this is fundamentally part of hiding, our word, hiding his word in our heart. My personal example, passing of my father-in-law. I was distraught that my children would never know him or be influenced by him or receive from his wisdom. So I lay hold of God's promise in Romans 8, 28. And with my finger on it, I raised my voice to God through tears and said, and I say to this day, God, you have seen fit to take such a man from my life. And who, and who am I to disagree with your purposes? And it's right that he should be with you because he loved you dearly. But his departure has left me wanting. Wanting for those good things that he was able to provide. And so I trust you. I trust that you will provide an influence greater than him. And wisdom more eternal, Lord, I will hold you to this promise. That this thing will work out for my benefit according to your word. And to the benefit of my children. And it is right that I trust you in this. And to this day I no longer weep. But I look forward to how the Lord will keep his promise. And I smile. Oh, how precious are the promises of God hidden in his word. Brethren, we know this to be true. We know it. We know it with all our hearts. We know it. We need to be spending time in his word. Above all things in this life, we need to be saturated by his words, his instructions, his promises, his help. We need to see Christ always. 
If you are neglecting his word, you do so at your own peril. Let's examine our hearts. Worship team, you can come back up. When your walk begins to grow cold, when you feel such a sense of spiritual starvation, when you are in a season prone to stumbling or plagued by besetting sin, when you lack the ability to truly encourage your brothers and sisters, when you feel unworthy or condemned and thus can't enter into a holy conversation with our God, and when your prayers seem powerless, get yourself back into the word of God. Find Christ in its pages and don't leave it again. Brothers and sisters, hunger for the word of God. It will sustain you through Christ. It will keep you from faltering by remembering his great work. It will bless you as he gazes upon you and as you draw near. You will grow in righteousness through the Spirit and better be able to discern good from evil. You will meet with him as you converse with him and hear from him. You will grow in love and adoration of him. The Bible is the word of our God, and the believer who cherishes it will be blessed by God. Not because they are saved by the ink on its pages, but because they will continuously give themselves to serious, sustained attention to the salvation accomplished by Christ. They will see the one they love in its pages. As they meditate on its truths, they will maintain Christ on the forefront of their minds. They will be transformed by the renewing of their minds as they gaze upon his beauty. They will continue through this life in the sweetest communion with God, where we speak to God in prayer and he speaks to us in his word. They will be careful not to grieve the spirit because they are not ignorant of his commands and they will be well trained in discerning good from evil. They will know very well the promises of God and they will take them to him steadfastly in prayer when in need, fully convinced due to the faithfulness they have seen in his word time and time again. Lord, I pray today that your word goes forth and it doesn't return void. Lord, I pray for the sweetest communion of my brothers and sisters with you, with time in your word. I pray that through your word, you would reveal your heart and your great love for us who believe. That it would rest on our souls, that it would rest on the forefront of our minds, that we would meditate on it day and night. That your spirit would empower us to do this and that we would see the preciousness of its contents. Thank you, Lord, for your great work. Thank you for Christ Jesus, through whom which we are saved, and whom we see in these pages. We love you, and may our lives glorify you. Amen.